Earlier in the beginning of the year, uh, God had given pastor some direction for the year for our church, and that direction is a year of prayer. Not that we didn't pray before, that we didn't believe in prayer, but that we wanted to focus more on prayer. And we started the year off with a series on prayer, and after that series was over, uh, pastor felt the Lord speak to him, and he said, miracles follow prayer. And so that's what led us into our series, and we're in part five of this series, meditating on the miracles. And today we're going to talk about a very, very interesting story, uh, a very interesting story in the Bible where we see a miracle. And uh, I want to give you a little bit of context before we begin to read the part of this story. Uh, But this is a story of the Israelites in the Bible when they were out in the wilderness They had been broken free from slavery in Egypt, and their great fearless leader, Moses, had led them out of slavery and led them out into what was going to soon be uh, the promised land. And there was some moments uh, out while they were in the desert where they got thirsty. And there's actually two different encounters in the Bible where the miracle of water is provided through a rock. And uh, we're going to talk about one of those stories, but I want to just let you know that the first time this miracle happened, it was about the first year that they were into the wilderness. And uh, God had spoken to Moses and told Moses, hey, I know the people are thirsty. I want you to take your staff and strike this rock. When you strike the rock, water will come out and you guys can drink. And then the second occurrence is really what we're going to be talking about today. It's found in Numbers 20, and uh, same type of situation, thirsty people. God tells Moses, Moses, I want you to speak to that rock, and water is provided through that rock. Now, the second time the miracle takes place, it's really towards the very, very end of their wandering out in the desert. Uh, Commentaries say that it's somewhere around year number 38 in the desert. Now, I don't know about you, but I can only imagine how exhausted and tired these people are after 38 years of wandering in the desert. Um, I know for myself, whenever I have been wandering in the desert for only an hour, I'm tired and I'm exhausted. These guys have been doing this for 38 years, so I think it would be really safe to say that these guys are professional wanderers. And then I want you to consider the leaders. These poor leaders having to lead these people in the desert for 38 years, I think it's probably safe to say that the leaders were pretty tired and exhausted as well. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? You can open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 20, Numbers chapter 20. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, it's up on the screen. Um, Many of you may not know it, but you do have a Bible with you if you don't have a book Bible, because it's probably on your phone if you look. Uh, There's a great uh, phone version of the Bible called YouVersion, so uh, you can download that, and uh, they got great devotions on there, and um, it's always good to have a Bible with you all the time. All right, here we go. Numbers chapter 20, starting at verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and Aaron and said, if, you had, if we had only died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord... Why did you bring the Lord's community out into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Well, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. 
Basically, that means that they went and prayed. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will pour out water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Verse number nine, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock with his staff. Water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word. God, I pray today that your word would speak to us. God, I pray that you would anoint every word that comes out of my mouth today. God, I pray that you would filter out what I don't need to say. God, that you would put in what I do need to say. God, I pray more than anything that people would be comforted today. God, I pray that whatever the need is here today, people would find hope and encouragement in you. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, some of you uh, may know that my wife and I uh, just went through our own personal need of a miracle. We went through our own personal tragedy. And I'm sharing this with you today because I want to be a little bit vulnerable with you today. Um, My wife was about four and a half months pregnant three weeks ago, and uh, we lost our son in the middle of our pregnancy. Um, I really wanted to avoid this series. (laughs) I want to avoid this series, meditating on the miracles. The truth is, I could have. pastor didn't give me any direction. He didn't tell me I had to stay in this series at all. But many of you know that in life, there's no way around things. There's only ways through things. And so there's no shortcut around tragedy. There's no way around. There's only a way through. And so uh, my wife and I on our way through right now. And I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouraging words. Um, For those of you who um, have never been through anything like this, many of you prayed when you heard the news. And and for a lot of people, it's old news, and they may have forgotten. But for people who are walking through things, stuff lingers on for a while. And grief is a season. It's not a moment. And for every person, it's different. Some people, it lasts months and months and months. And some people, it just lasts weeks. And um, we don't know how long it lasts but we're going to hold on to Jesus while we go through. Sometimes people who are uh, in public ministry or public leadership, uh, they have to communicate. Um, God gives you messages, and you communicate while you're going through and what you're going through. And so that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, We found ourselves in a really, really interesting story today concerning the Israelites and their leader. I think that we can learn a lot about the miracle maker, God, As we take a look at this story, along with other accounts that we have read through this series, um, I think it's important that we all understand a few things about miracles. First of all, here's what I want to say. There is no recipe or formula that will guarantee your miracle. 
There's examples of, in the Bible of things and occurrences that have happened before miracles and healings like great faith, great belief. Great belief, by the way, is probably one of the most common things that we see as Jesus walked through and did miracles. We often see Jesus admonishing and encouraging people and saying because of their great faith, because of belief, this miracle came to them. We see other things like obedience to God's word as reasons for people getting their miracles. We see people being in proper spiritual alignment with God as another possible reason why people receive their miracles. We see bizarre things in the Bible like people, Jesus, bending down, grabbing mud, spitting in it, rubbing in his hands and sticking it over a blind person's eyes and that person becoming healed. We see other bizarre things like a man with a staff sticking that staff into the edge of waters as the waters part and God's people walk through with safety and are delivered. You know, all of these things are great stories in the Bible, but I think that we all need to just make sure that we're cautioned, that when we read one story in the Bible, we don't take that one thing and turn it into a doctrine or a formula for somebody receiving their miracle. You know, the story we're going to look at today is a little bit of a twist, because it is filled in the middle of a great miracle with disobedient leaders disobedient people, ungrateful people, prideful leaders, arrogant people, and consequences that impacted their future and their destiny. So, anybody encouraged today? All right, number one, number one, as we look at the story, I want us to notice the need. Numbers 20 and verse 2, the Bible says that there was no water. Water was the particular need in this specific story. The Israelites, they needed a provisional miracle. They were lacking a physical thing and they needed it to be fulfilled. You know, I I want us to take note that before every miracle, there's always a need. You know, I've asked God to perform miracles for many people. Early in my faith, I remember seeing and experiencing and reading God's word about miracles, and it it pumped me up. It excited me. And and I began to pray, God, I want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. And I had somebody ask me uh, several months back, he said, why don't we see signs, wonders, and miracles in America? Everybody can speculate, and they can have their opinion and their idea. But there's something that's exciting when you talk about miracles, When we see miracles and we hear of stories of miracles, our faith is increased. And it gives us hope. I want to define for you quickly what a miracle is, just in simple layman terms. A miracle is simply this, God's divine intervention to turn a situation around. Let me say that again. God's divine intervention to turn a situation around. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I think about God intervening in a situation and turning it around. It doesn't matter if it's a broken marriage. It doesn't matter if it's a wayward son. It doesn't matter if it's an unruly boss. It doesn't matter if it's a financial. It doesn't matter if it's a, a physical, spiritual, or an emotional thing that God needs to step in and turn a situation around. That's it. It's just, it's just God taking up for his people and helping them. That's what a miracle is. But we got to understand that before there's ever a miracle, there's a need. And here's what I want to say. 
if anyone has ever been in miracle territory, you understand this. Miracle territory, territory is not always fun when it's you needing the miracle. I mean, hey, sure, I get excited thinking about miracles, and I, I get all pumped up, but all of a sudden, when it's me who's needing a miracle, I'm not so excited, and I'm not so pumped up. Um, I can remember being in the hospital after the doctor had given us some news that there was no heartbeat. And uh, they were doing a, a Doppler, uh, they're do, just doing a Doppler deal on, on, uh, on the belly. They couldn't hear a heartbeat that way. And uh, there was nobody in the office to actually do a sonogram to confirm. And so the doctor uh, runs in and, you know, the doctor's stumbling around the sonogram equipment because they don't really know what to do with it because they're really not professional <laughs> at doing sonograms. And so they're like plugging stuff in and kind of going, where's this? Where's that? It's really another company inside that doctor's office that runs that. And so she tries to do the sonogram and she's looking around and, and she, she says, okay, she said, it's not looking good but I'm not a professional. So our stenographer is at lunch, so I'm going to call her and try to get her down here. She says, are you guys okay? You wanna, can you just wait? So we said, okay, we're going to wait here. So we found ourselves suddenly in miracle territory, and it wasn't very fun. And I sat there, and the emotions were running deep. They were, we were very revved up emotionally. And we were sitting there what seemed like a long time, and I thought to myself, I don't want to stir up extra emotion that I don't need to stir up. There's already a lot of emotion right here. I don't want to tee us up for false hope and pray for a miracle and nothing happen. But I thought to myself, I have to. I have to pray for a miracle. I don't have a, I just, as a man of God, I just have to trust you, Lord. And whatever the outcome is, it's your outcome. The miracle is about you. So I closed my eyes real gently. It was nothing like the prayers that I prayed at the altar call for people during revivals. God, I'm telling you, you know, hey, God bless those moments. That's really not everyday life moments. The everyday life moments are probably a little bit more of what I experienced. So I gently put my wife, my hand on my wife's belly. I closed my eyes and I prayed almost the quietest prayer I knew how to pray. And I just said, Lord, need a miracle. I pray that you heal my son. Amen. That was it. Didn't have the strength to keep praying and do a big prayer. It's just, God's a big God. He, he don't need my pomp and circumstance and my parade and my loud boy. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need any of those things, guys, to do a miracle. He doesn't. He's God. I found myself in a need of a miracle, and it wasn't fun at all. And many of you may have found yourself in need of a miracle. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay if you're not excited. <laughs> Everyone else gets excited around that, but it's okay if you're not excited. And I don't even know who I'm talking to today. But if you're somebody who needs a miracle, your need may be physical. It may be a spiritual need. It may be an emotional need. I have no idea what it is. But I do want you to know that I understand that being in need of a miracle is not always fun at all. You know, when you think about these interesting stories in the Bible, 
God has turned some bizarre situations around. So, so as bizarre as our situation looks, we do have to pray, and we do have to ask God for the miracle because he could do it. I mean, think about these crazy stories. Think about Jarius' daughter needing a miracle, and she was dying, and God literally uh, healed her body. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. She was sick for 12 years. Her situation didn't look like it was going to turn around. She was one of those people who would just look like she was going to be sick the rest of her life. Anybody in here, it just looks like you're going to be sick the rest of your life? You know somebody, it looks like you're going to be sick the rest of your life? Guess what? Jesus did a miracle for her and turned her situation around. Think about Paul and Silas being stripped and beaten and thrown in prison. It looked like life was pretty bleak for them. It looked like they were most likely going to die in prison. But God turned their situation around. It doesn't matter if you need food, water, shelter. It doesn't matter if uh, you, you, you are sick or there's a disease or there's an accident or a tragedy. It doesn't matter if you need God to comfort your lonely heart. It doesn't matter if you are in an identity crisis, if you're in a self-worth crisis. It doesn't matter if you're suffering through loss, grief, strife. strife. It doesn't matter if you've got a spiritual need of deliverance or salvation or freedom. God can perform a miracle for you. And I know it's not fun, and it's okay. Pastor and I were talking a few weeks ago while we were in the hospital, and, and uh, man, I was just in so much inner turmoil, and I looked at him and I said, we never have an, any idea what people are going through. When you're walking past them at work, when you're walking them through the hallways at a hospital to visit somebody who's got a tummy ache, you have no idea the news that somebody just got as they're walking down the hallway. You should be a little more compassionate to people. When somebody cuts you off on the road, maybe because they're rushing to see their spouse or a relative before they're about to die and they cut you off and you want to give them a birdie. I'm just saying. I've got to make this lighthearted somehow. I've got to at least bring flipping someone off in the middle of all this. I, I don't think I've ever said flipping somebody off before in church, but I just did. Don't act like you never did it or you never thought about it or you never wanted to do it. Pastor said it like this. He said, you know the difference between major surgery and minor? Pastor's like, the guy always has like the perfect one word slogans and phrases and quotes and whatever. And I, and I said, uh, no, I'm sure you're going to tell me even if I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> he said, major surgery is when it's mine. Minor surgery is when it's yours. <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter how big or small it looks like to you. When it's somebody who's in need of a miracle, it's always major. It's always major to you. I want you to know today that no matter what your need is, when you're in need, you're in miracle territory. And here's what I want to say. He is a good, good father. Whether you get your miracle or whether you don't get your miracle, he's still a good father. The second thing I want us to notice in this story is not only do I want us to notice a need, every time we're in miracle territory, there's always a great need, and it's not always very fun. But the second thing I want to notice in this story is the people. No doubt the people in this story, 
They were sinners, the Israelites. And there were saints, Moses and Aaron. And hey, no doubt that there were some saints that were Israelites, but there's no doubt that some of the Israelites were sinners. And we've got these leaders here. 38 years of wandering in the desert. Commentators say that this is the second generation of wanderers. They're towards the very tail end. And these, this generation of Israelites were worse off than their parents. These guys were gathering in opposition against the spiritual leadership. It was almost as if they were trying to put a petition together to get rid of their leaders so that things could happen their way. You know, usually before a petition gets put together, there's a whole lot of things going on. They're trying to, people are trying to force the hand of a leader, a government, a, a church, an organization. There's a lot of backdoor conversations going on. There's a lot of planning and scheming and organizing. Because these people don't like what's happening to them. In other words, these guys were ticked off at the condition that they were dealing with. Where's the union? <laughs> they had no union. You're supposed to laugh right there. That's like, in my mind, I had it that you were going to laugh right there. So I'll just tell you, one, two, three, laugh. <laughs> and then the other people that we see in the story is the saints, although <laughs> these saints weren't acting very saintly. Moses and Aaron, they were acting a little bit more like sinners than they were saints. You know, here's a myth buster for the professional Christians in the house today. God still works miracles in the midst of messy people. Hey, just because somebody is messy doesn't disqualify them from receiving a miracle. I mean, look at the story. Grumbling, complaining people, prideful, disobedient leaders. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sean, I thought, I thought miracles were reserved for the perfect, faithful people, believing Christians, the, the confident, the strong Christians that walked the straight line and never wavered. Well, not according to this story. How's your theology on healing and miracles doing? Am I messing it up a little bit? God told Moses, speak to the rock and I will pour out. Remember earlier when Moses was in this situation, God had told him to strike the rock. Moses comes out of his prayer closet after hearing God tell him to speak to the rock. And yet what does he do? He goes back to his old way. He goes back to what was comfortable. He goes back to what he knew. He was disobedient. I thought miracles were only performed through obedient leaders and obedient people. It looks like old Moses got a little bit too comfortable in his miracle-making ability. He got a little prideful. He says this, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Looks like Moses was taking a little bit of the credit to himself. Looks like Moses was forgetting in this moment who the miracle maker was. Moses took his eyes off the giver, the provider, and he put it in his own hands. Just because God performs a miracle one way doesn't mean he's going to perform the second miracle the same way. It was never about Moses and his ability to be a great leader and lead these people. It was always about the miracle worker. How about you today? Do you have it down packed like Moses? 
Is everything in perfect alignment? And although, although, you need to be in perfect alignment with his help. You think you can pull it off your own way? We got to remember that when considering God's provision of a miracle, he will always perform miracles with messy people. That's just what he does. He's a good God. A miracle is more about God's goodness and less about ours. A miracle is more about God's goodness and less about our goodness. We can never give credit to a miracle over to our goodness. We can never give the credit of a miracle over to our great faithfulness. We can never give credit to a miracle to our obedience and to our righteousness. The Bible actually says in Isaiah that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We're taking a look at this miracle in the Bible and we notice the need and we notice that whenever you're the one that has the need and you're the one that needs a miracle, that's really not that fun. We also notice in the story that the people in the story, these people are messed up. And the third thing I want us to notice today is I want us to notice the despise. The Israelites said this, why did you bring us out of Egypt into this terrible place? The Israelites were very unhappy. Their heart was a little bit off, probably a lot of bit off. These guys had forgot about all the things that God had done for them. They had forgotten about all the past miracles. They probably were not getting up every day and thanking Jehovah for all the good things in their life and all the good places he's brought them from. They despise their current situation. They despise the journey. I know. It's really hard to not despise the journey. It's easy to say, don't despise the journey when your journey is not hard. (laughs) It's easy to say that. But when your journey is hard, it's hard to not despise the journey. It is more about perfecting our hearts and less about making us comfortable. It's God's desire that we would be more like him. The truth is that on a human level, when we're in need and we need a miracle, the truth is at a human level, there is anger. There's frustration. There's bewilderment. We want answers. We want to know. We want want to try to figure it all out. Being a Christian and being a believer doesn't exempt you from those emotions. It's what we do with those emotions that count. We can go down the list of godly people that did not pass the test of faith when the heat was turned up for them. We can think about Moses as a murderer. We can think about this situation here with pride and disobedience. We could talk about David and his lust and his infidelity. We could talk Peter about Peter and his denial of Christ or the Israelites turning their back, their back on God in the midst of these great miracles. But sometimes it's more about perfecting our heart and less about making us comfortable. Is it okay if God was more interested in making your heart like his than making life comfortable for you? I mean, does he want to take care of his kids? Absolutely. Does he want to provide for us? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Does he want our heart right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. It's usually in the hard times that our compassion is increased. 
It's usually in the hard times that our understanding is increased. It's usually in the hard times that we learn how to focus on God when it really counts. When it's easy, it's easy. Is it fun? No. Is it painful? Yeah. We've got to guard our hearts when we're teetering on the line of despising the journey and hanging in and trusting God no matter what. We've got to guard our hearts. Oftentimes when we get desperate and we start despising our situation, we take things in our own hands. We want to make it and we want to do it our own way. But I've got to tell you, oftentimes desperate people, they make bad choices just like these guys did. And just like in the story, bad choices, although there was a miracle, resulted in bad consequences. I remember the, I remember um, you guys have as well hearing pastor talk about when he prays, he asks God to send angels around to guard his heart. And uh, when, when I heard him say that for the first time, I'm like, man, I've read that scripture a million times and I've prayed that from time to time, but I've never just made it a discipline to pray that. So I took the scripture, Proverbs 4 and 23, and I wrote it down on my prayer list, guard your heart, everything flows from it. And I, and I began to pray that over my heart every day and, and over my daughter and over my family. Every time I would pray, I would pray that. I gotta honestly, I gotta be honest with you today. It wasn't the strength of my faith that is getting me through the loss that we're experiencing. It's the seeds of God's word that has been sown into our life for the last, well, I was a late bloomer. I got saved when I was 19 years old. So 21 years ago. And then my wife, when she was a little girl, is the seeds of all these years that have carried us. It's not like our, our great faith and the fact that we weren't hurting and the fact that we weren't wondering and the fact that we didn't feel a little lost and a little confused. It was the faith. Our heart has been guarded and protected as we've walked through this. Can I tell you something? It's not too late for God to put a shield around your heart today and protect you today. No matter what miracle or what need you have right now, it's not too late. If you're feeling tempted, maybe if you are even despising the journey that you're on, it is still not too late to ask God to remove that despise. It's really easy. All you got to begin to do is just consider what he's done for you in the past. It doesn't matter if it's a hundred good things, but if it was just one good thing, you can take that. Wrap that around your heart and begin to guard you from bitterness and a lost relationship with him. I want to attempt to answer this question for you today because mostly this is where I'm at. How do you keep your heart right when it's broken? Here's some possible biblical resolutions on how to do this. Let me offer a couple. A, prayer and worship. Those of you who are really, really, really broken, I'm just speaking out of experience, not out of a biblical doctor, and this one is really hard for you. But for those of you who um, uh, are grieving, this one is hard. But for those of you who, uh, who your, your pain is not that deep, um, for those of you who, who are not an emotional wreck, <laughs> prayer and worship is a good one. Paul and Silas, they were beaten, broken down, they were in prison. What did they do? They prayed. They worshiped. They sought the Lord. And guess what happened when they did that? They received strength. 
and God brought deliverance to them. I'm not saying God's going to bring deliverance to you every time you pray and worship, but God will bring you strength every time you pray and worship. You can draw emotional strength and spiritual strength from God's word and from worship. This you need to have your heart guarded when you're going through something tough and when your heart is broken. The second thing you need is joy. This one's even a more difficult one. The Bible says in Proverbs 17 and 22, a joyful or merry heart does like a good medicine. Let yourself laugh. It's good for the soul. Let people come over the house and laugh together. Can I tell you, this just out of experience, one of the most valuable things you can do for somebody who is hurting is not come over the house and pray for them. Not come over to the house and empathize with them. They, they, they have cried enough tears. I'm telling you, they, there's probably not a day when somebody has lost somebody that has gone by that a tear has not been shed. They don't need to shed more tears, but they need to laugh. They need to just forget about it because they've been thinking about it all day and every day. They've been talking about it with their family and all their best friends. So when you just show up in their presence, you've already said a whole lot. They know you love. They know you care. But just help them to laugh a little bit. It's powerful when you help people laugh. The most favorite thing that, that I loved was when people came over to my house and we didn't talk about my grief. Because I'd been talking about it with my wife, talking about it with my family. Now, sure, if you're with somebody who doesn't have a family and, and they don't have anybody that they're walking through with it, okay, cool. But if not, they got to go just come over and laugh with them. It makes things so lighthearted. Why? Because the Bible says that joy, that a merry heart does a heart like a good medicine. And then this is the part where I kind of found myself mostly. The next one is to be still. Bible says in Psalms 46, be still and know that I'm God. The Bible says in Psalms 54, the Lord sustains me. Does he or does he not? Can we be still and him sustain us in our pain and our grief? Can I tell you something? Your heart and your emotions are too wrecked to open your Bible and read it. Does his word not sustain you when you've planted it in your life? I know I'm probably messing some of you up right now. But my heart was too wrecked to want to turn on worship music and to come and sit in church in a worship environment. My heart was already wrecked. It just, it just made it more raw. It was just tough. It was hard. doesn't mean that it wasn't good for me, but it was hard. The Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. God's comfort doesn't depend on all your little Christian disciplines. You need your disciplines. Don't get me wrong. But in the time of pain and the time of hurt, God's comfort does not depend on your ability to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and pray and read your Bible and be spiritual. Is God's word, is his word true? The Bible says the Lord sustains you. Is that true or is it not true? It's true. Why? Because he's God. The next thing. Like guard your heart when it's broken. Don't try to understand. Do try to trust. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Look it. Do not lean on your own understanding. That's all you have in moments of tragedy. That's all you have between where you're standing and you receiving your miracle. All you have is your own understanding in those moments. 
your own understanding really doesn't lead you to a lot of great places most of the time. I mean, unless you got a word from God, good. But I have known very few people that in the middle of their trial, in the middle of their circumstances, that they know exactly why they're going through what they're going through. The Bible says don't lean on your own understanding. Why is a question that often get people in trouble? Why is it often just speculation? You're just speculating. Your friends are speculating. You're speculating. You're thinking about every angle possible to try to bring some kind of comfort to you. But it's God's word that brings comfort to you, not your understanding that brings comfort to you. The Bible puts it like this in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Look it. And the peace of God transcends all understanding. Listen, that word transcend, originally translated, is a picture word for literally, physically climbing over something. I want you to think about this. The peace of God transcends, climbs over your understanding. Because your understanding is not right when you're going through stuff. And it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a good word. Finally, I want us to notice the holiness of God. The holiness of God in this story. And we close with this last point. The Bible says in verse 13, these were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and he was proved holy among them. Listen, God did not have a lot to work with in this story to perform a miracle. He had some prideful leaders and complaining, contentious people to to perform a miracle through. And if we were creating a formula on how to get a miracle from God to you from this story, we would all probably be in good shape because we're all really good at being prideful. We're really good at complaining. We'd get our miracle every time. But that's just not how it works. Why? Because God is holy. God is not your genie in a bottle. He's a holy God. He will always prove himself holy, even in the midst of imperfect people and leaders. He will always get the glory. The Lord told Moses, because you didn't trust me enough to honor me as holy, you will not bring this community into the land that I will give them. They got their miracle. Good for you. Got your miracle. But you lost your heart in the midst of getting your miracle. You got what you wanted. We can't take stories in the Bible and create theologies out of just one great story in the Bible. Sure, common denominators of belief and being in alignment with God, those are important things. But you can't take stuff and say, well, because God said that they believe that they got their miracle, and you didn't get your miracle, so because you didn't get your miracle, that meant you didn't believe enough. And I want to apologize to you on behalf of any Christian who has ever told you that. Because you didn't get your miracle, because you didn't believe enough, because that story in the Bible said that they believed. So that's how you get your miracles, by believing. I'm sorry if somebody has given you wrong doctrine or created their own thing, but bad things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. 
That's, that's, that's for pastor. He's not here. He's in India. Because he says stuff like that. So I was just feeling kind of like him a little bit. <laughs> Listen, the reason why we can't take these stories in the Bible and make a theological doctrine or recipe out of these things, out of just one story, is because it reduces God's grace and holiness down to our ability. And that's not how God works. Why? Because he's a holy God. The disciples were really struggling with this because they were wanting to see miracles and they had heard rumors that people are sick and they have diseases because of sin and Jesus came to them and said, hey guys, by the way, these guys didn't sin and neither did their parents. This sickness in their life happened simply so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He's a holy God. Our takeaway today, when you're in need of a miracle, don't despise your place on the journey because he's still God no matter what your need is. When you're in need of a miracle, don't despise your place in the journey. He is still God no matter what the need is today.